Well, I absolutely love what we're going to talk about together today, and I look forward to this time of year, this season of our, our church every single year, as I know um, so, so many of you do, because, um, because really what we do during our four campaign, um, this really is at the heart of Christianity. This is at the heart of what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus, because at the heart of Christianity um, is this incredible, incredible idea um, that, that God actually became one of us, right? It's John, it's the, the gospel writer, John. John who believed in Jesus and then he disbelieved in Jesus and then he didn't know what to believe about Jesus. And then after the resurrection, he believed in Jesus again. It, it was John who was talking about Jesus so much that the emperor Domitian actually exiled him to the island of Patmos um, where John, who used to be the youngest apostle, now became the only apostle because he lived out all the other apostles. He outlived all of his friends. He, he, he's an old man now. And so John is thinking back on his time with Jesus and he's trying to put into words what he experienced in these three and a half years that he was with Jesus. And so John, um, he, he writes this incredible, incredible statement that you've heard before. John says this, the word became flesh and it made his dwelling. It made his dwelling among us. This is John's way of saying that God actually became one of us and that he lived among us. Now this is decades, right? This is decades and decades and decades after all the events of Jesus' life took place. And even then, John is looking back on this now as an old man. And, and he's seen so much bloodshed. He's seen so much harm in his world to his people and to his family, to his friends. And, and yet John is still absolutely convinced that his friend Jesus is more than a friend, that he's more than a rabbi, he's more than a teacher, he was more than a good man. He's absolutely convinced that Jesus was not only sent from God, but in some incredible, unique, and indescribable way, is in fact the unique son of God. But why? Why? Why in the world would God actually leave heaven? Think about this. Why in the world would God want to leave heaven and actually live among us. And see, to answer this question, we have to go back to the very, very beginning. When I was growing up going to church, like many of you, I can remember coming to church with, with, with my mom, and I remember going into, into big church. It wasn't this church. It was a different church, which was a small church, but it was a big church to me. And every time we went into this church, we got this, like, eight-page bulletin, right, which had, like, an incredible detail, everything that was going to be done during the course of the service, including all of the music. All of it was written out, like the staff, the notes, the clef, the time signature, the whole thing, right, line by line by line, the whole everything. It was, and at the top of of this large packet of paper um, that I was given every week, this bulletin, it was always printed at the top, order of what? Anybody remember? Order of worship, right? Worship, order of worship. What does worship mean? Worship is actually kind of an easy thing for us to get our hearts and our minds around because the truth is we, we do it all, all the time, right? Worship, it simply means to recognize something's worth, right? Worship is worthship. Right? Worthship. So, so to recognize something's worth, to worship something, is to recognize its value or its worth. To worship someone is to recognize someone's worth or someone's value. 
And see, the interesting thing about human beings is that we have been worshipers from the very beginning, right? Since the very beginning of time, whenever people would come together, whether it was big groups or small groups or family groups, they just instinctively would look up and they realized that there had to be something up there that was controlling and impacting and influencing what was happening down here. And so consequently, as you know, in ancient times, in ancient times, people actually worshipped um, multiple gods. They, they worshipped multiple gods and they looked to these gods, they valued these gods because these gods controlled every aspect of their life. They knew that without these gods, they, they wouldn't survive. So they looked to the gods to send rain. They looked to the gods to give them victory in battle. They looked to the gods to keep the locust away. And they were always trying to figure out the magic combination of what did they need to do to gain the favor and gain the attention and gain the blessing of these gods. And so over time, this idea of worship, or this idea of worship for ancient people, it started to revolve around the idea of sacrifice. And the thinking was for them to actually gain the favor and gain the attention of the gods, that they needed to bring something to the gods um, that, that was valuable. And so the gods would see that and they would say, oh, wow, look at what that person did. I, I think I'm going to make it rain for them. I think I'm going to make them um, have victory in battle. No, I'm going to keep the locust away from, from that group of people. And the more valuable the sacrifice, as they thought, the more of a chance they had to actually gain the attention of the gods. And so consequently, in, in many of these cultures, many pagan cultures, they actually began to sacrifice uh, other people. Right? They would sacrifice their enemies. They would sacrifice even members of their own tribe. Sometimes they would sacrifice members of their family. Sometimes they would sacrifice children. Sometimes they would sacrifice their own child. And all of this, right, all of this was done to, to keep the favor and gain the attention and keep the blessing uh, of these gods. And so ultimately, these sacrifices were in fact simply bribes, right? They were all bribes because the gods held all the cards, right? The, the, the gods controlled when it rained. The gods controlled where the locusts went. The gods controlled whether or not your son or your daughter was healed from a disease. The gods controlled everything. And so they held all the cards. And so... And so the, it, there's this constant guessing game, right? There's this constant guessing game of trying to figure out what's the magic combination of things that we need to do in order to gain the favor and gain the attention and gain the blessing of, of the gods. And yet this was very tricky business because figuring out exactly what it is that the gods required, that was virtually, virtually impossible. But see, fortunately for ancient people, there were people like me People who knew the secrets of getting the gods to do what you wanted them to do. Secrets, the secrets of getting the gods to bless you and to bless your family and to, to give you what it is that you were hoping that the gods would provide for you. There were priests and there were witches. There were witch doctors and there were religious leaders. And, and they convinced the people and they convinced the leaders. And sometimes they even convinced the, the emperors themselves that if, you can listen, if you'll listen to me and if you'll do what I tell you to do, then the gods will bless you and the gods will favor you. And the gods will watch over you and they will watch over your family. And the interesting thing about this system is that um, there's always this interesting parallel, this unique parallel between what it is that the gods wanted and what it is that the religious leaders wanted, what the holy people wanted, what the witch doctors and the priests wanted. And whatever it is that they wanted seemed to somehow make these gods happy. And see, it's kind of interesting because that continues into our world today, doesn't it? 
In fact, for some of you, the reason you stopped going to church is because you, you kind of felt like the same thing as what was happening um, in, in your church. You began to get the feeling that somehow that the person who was standing in my position, that they were somehow misreading or misinterpreting or misapplying the scripture and, and misleading the people in order to get the people to do what the person up front wanted them to do by convincing them that what they were doing is what God wanted them to do. Right? Ever feel that way before? See, the truth is that's actually been going on since the very beginning of time. Now, the interesting thing about ancient Jewish worship, ancient Jewish worship was similar to pagan worship, but it was different in many ways. It was similar because it also contained animal sacrifice, but it was different because those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, um, weren't actually bribes. Because the Jewish people had something that the surrounding nations, the pagan nations, that they didn't have. And this is incredibly important in understanding where we're going today. Because, because the Jewish people actually had a written contract. They had a, a covenant with God. They had a written covenant with God. In fact, you can actually read this covenant for yourself. It's found in the book of Exodus. And in this covenant, God told the Jewish people that you, you are my people, right? You, you are my people, not because you did anything to make you my people. You are my people simply because I chose you to be my people. So you, you're in with me. So you, you don't have to try to bribe me. But I am going to give you a written law so that you know how to treat each other and so that you know how to treat the other people in your world. And so God said to the nation of Israel, listen, you will be my people when you please me and you will be my people when you displease me. And see, the interesting thing about the, the covenant that God had with Israel is that it explained how the Israelites were supposed to behave when they lived in the land that God would give them. Because God gave them the law before he gave them the land. And so God said, if you, if you behave, then you get to stay in the land. If you misbehave, I'm going to put you out of the land. If you have kids at home that are little, this is basically how, how time out works, right? You're my son and I will always love you, but right now you need to go and put yourself away from the family for a little while until you can learn how to interact with the rest of the family and then you can come back and you will join the family. That's basically what God was saying, right? You will always be my people. I will never stop loving you. So you don't need to bribe me, but I, I will put you in time out. And see, the fascinating thing about the, the law that God actually established with Israel, it, it was completely remarkable. And in fact, you've heard me say this before, it was way, way ahead of its time. Anyone who's critical of the ancient covenant between God and Israel, known as the Sinai covenant, simply does not understand what else was happening in the world at this point in history. Because the Sinai covenant, it actually taught Jewish people how to treat not only other Jewish people, but the foreigners that lived around them as well as their own servants and slaves. It forbid human sacrifice. It was absolutely explicit in declaring to the Jewish people that you cannot under any circumstance ever sacrifice your children or any child. And this was completely unique in, in regards to the nation that was around them. And, and it's completely set the Jewish people apart in terms of how it is that they would worship this God, Yahweh. And this is so incredibly important because understanding this, listen, the ancient God of, of Israel, the, the Jewish God, Yahweh, he was far more concerned with obedience than he was sacrifice. 
See, the pagan gods, the gods of the surrounding nations, they, they could care less how you treated your husband or your wife or your child or, or, or your, your brother or your neighbor or your, the stranger down the street or the slave in your house. They didn't care about anything as long as you brought them a sacrifice. That's all that they were concerned with. They didn't care because all they wanted was what was valuable to them. And yet the Jewish God Yahweh, the ancient Jewish God Yahweh, um, he, he, he was far, far less concerned with sacrifice because he could not and he would not be bribed. The king of Israel known as King Solomon, ancient King Solomon, he actually says it this way in Proverbs 21. He says this, he says, to do what is right and just, that is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And the truth of this statement, in fact, Israel's history would actually bear out the truth of this statement um, because what God was saying was this, listen, you can sacrifice to me all day long and I'm not impressed. I am not impressed. And so Israel's sacrificial system was not designed to keep God happy. It's so important. Instead, Israel's sacrificial system was actually designed to make atonement for sin. And see, this word atonement in English is actually very easy to, to understand if you spread it out a little bit because it simply means this. It means at one meant. Atonement. At one meant. Atonement is all about reconciling two parties and bringing two groups of people together. Atonement is all about reestablishing relationship and making peace between groups of people. The Hebrew word here, it actually means to cover something. To cover something bad with something good for the purpose of restoring a relationship. And so individuals all throughout ancient Israel, when they sinned and when they broke God's law, when they broke God's covenant, um, they knew that they had to go to the temple and they had to, to sacrifice in order to restore a relationship with God, in order to make right with God. But in order to atone for their sin, they also knew that they had to go to the person who they sinned against and they were required to make restitution to that person because Yahweh was much, much, much more concerned with how people actually treated each other than he was with sacrifice. And so throughout the year, individual Jewish people, they would go to the temple, they would atone for their sin. But then once a year, something absolutely fabulous would happen because Jewish people from all over the nation, in fact, all over the world, they would all come to the city of Jerusalem. And they would try to get as close as they could to the temple property. And if you knew somebody or if you were somebody, then you could actually get to be on the temple property. And you would get to, to be up close and personal and you would get to witness for yourself this incredible day that was known as the day of atonement. And while as throughout the year Jewish people would atone for their sins individually, on this one day of the year, all the Jewish people would come together as a nation and on this day they would ask God to forgive them as, of their sin as a nation, corporately, as his people. And as part of this celebration, the high priest, he, he, he would place both of his hands onto the head of a goat as a way of symbolically saying that I am now placing all of my sin all the sin of the nation of Israel, all the sin of our people, I am now placing on the head of this goat. And at the end of the ceremony, someone would take that goat and lead them down off the, the mount of the temple, across the, the temple property, down the southern steps into the Kidron Valley, into the streets of Jerusalem, throughout the streets of Jerusalem, till they got to the city gate where the goat would be put out into the wilderness and abandoned. As a way of saying that the sins of our nation and our people 
have been removed from us. The Israel that we are now a sinless nation. For one year. And then the following year they would do the whole thing over and over and over again. And so ancient Jewish worship for for ancient Israelites was in fact a temporary fix for a problem that required an ultimate solution. The the way that we know that there was a temporary fix is because they were required to repeat this whole process year after year after year. But it pointed to what it is that God was actually up to in the world. It pointed to a time when God would actually bring the ultimate solution for our ultimate problem. And through this arrangement with the nation of Israel, which was put into terms that ancient people could actually understand, that they could figure out that there is in fact a God, but the one true God, he's actually much more concerned with not simply sacrifice, he's actually concerned, what he's concerned with the most is mercy and justice and compassion. And then something extraordinary happened. Around the year 30 A.D., a man appears seemingly out of nowhere. Matthew actually just says that he just walked in from the wilderness one day. And he began to speak and he began to teach and he sounded just like an Old Testament prophet. But there hadn't been a prophet in Israel for more than 400 years. And his message was very, very simple. His message was simply this, that God is about to do something new in our world. And he began to preach a message of repentance. And his name was John. And back in those days, um, John was such a common name that if you were named John, then you needed to have a second name or a nickname. And so this man developed a nickname. Um, He became known as John the Baptist. And the reason they called him John the Baptist is because he he did something that nobody had ever done before. He began to baptize Jewish people. Jewish people knew that if you were a Gentile and if you wanted to begin to worship the Jewish God Yahweh, that, that as a Gentile you'd have to go through this complicated ceremony which included being washed from head to toe where that was symbolically removing your Gentileness and you were putting on Jewishness to the best of your ability. But, but, no, but people did this themselves. Nobody did it for them. And certainly no Jewish person, no, no Jewish person would ever, would ever do this themselves. There was no point. And John said, you don't want to miss what God is up to. God is up to something new in our world. What he is going to do is brand new. And you do not want to miss it. Tens of thousands of people from all over Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee, they began to come and flood the banks of the Jordan River. And they would watch and they would listen to John as he continued to preach this message of repentance and to remind the people that God was doing something new in our world. And this was a big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal that the leaders of the temple sent representatives down to ask John, are you claiming to be the Messiah? And John just laughed at him and he said, me, the Messiah? Are you kidding? I'm not even worthy to unlace the shoes of the person who's about to step onto the pages of history. And then one day, when God finally had things, just the way that he wanted. 
when everybody was leaning in and everybody was paying attention, as John is on the banks of the Jordan River just surrounded by thousands and thousands of people, one day, one afternoon, in one of the most dramatic events in all of human history, John looks over the horizon, he looks at the hill, and he says, look. He simply says, look. And John's the man, right? John, as everyone's paying attention to him, and John is saying, no, listen, you don't understand. My time is over, so look. Look, the Lamb of God. And the people are confused because they're looking at John, and John's pointing to, to over there, and, and they look over there, and they see a man, not a lamb. But John says, no, it's the Lamb. Look, it's the Lamb of God. It is the Lamb that God has provided. Look, it's the Lamb that has come from God. To take upon himself. To take upon himself. And carry away. Not simply the sin of our nation. But to carry away once. But for all. To carry away not simply the sin of our nation, but the sin of the whole world. Look, the ultimate sacrifice for the ultimate problem. Look, the final sacrifice for sin. I mean, can you even imagine that moment? Years later, the, the author of the book of Hebrews, um, he, he puts into words and he explains um, that if it had not been for the, the, the ancient covenant with Israel, the, the Sinai covenant, then the world would have had no idea of the significance of what it is that Jesus actually came into this world to do. And so in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews says this in verse 1, he says, um, the law... Right? The, the law, the entire Jewish sacrificial system, the whole thing, right? all of it, the, the law that God gave through Moses, the whole thing, it's just a shadow. It, it's a pointer. It, it's an illustration. Right? It, it's simply a, a depiction right? of the good things that were coming and that are now, in fact, here with us. They are not the realities themselves. For this reason, it, the Jewish sacrificial system, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, could never make perfect those who draw near in worship. Right? In other words, you could get the entire sacrificial system right, but it would never be enough. It will get you close, he's saying. But it could never, it could never be enough. Otherwise, the sacrifices, they would have ended. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. The reason that we have to keep doing this over and over and over again is because of this issue of sin that we just can't seem to stop, that we just can't seem to get a hold of. No matter how hard we try, we just have to keep doing it over and over and over because it's impossible, he says, you know this, for the blood of bulls and goats to actually take away sin. Cover temporarily? Yes. But pick up 
and carry away once and for all? No. No. And see, this is why the world changed. This is why the world changed when Jesus of Nazareth, as an adult man, stepped onto the banks of the Jordan River that day. Look, the Lamb of God, who has come to take upon himself and carry away once for all the sin of the whole world. Jesus came to fulfill and replace the entire sacrificial system, not because there was anything wrong with it, but because it had fulfilled its purpose. It was a sign. It was a sign pointing to the ultimate solution for our ultimate problem. Separation from a holy God who desires to have a relationship with every single one of us individually, but there has to be something that is done about our sin personally. And so from this day forward, sin would no longer be covered up. It would no longer be temporarily atoned for. Sin would be forgiven once and for all. And then in an incredible and unprecedented reversal, because nobody saw this part coming, God would actually make the sacrifice on behalf of the human race. For thousands, think about this, for thousands and thousands of years, humans had been sacrificing in order to get the attention and the blessing of the gods. For hundreds and hundreds of years, Jewish people had been sacrificing to atone for their sin and, and, and to atone for their personal sin and their national sin. But in this unprecedented reversal, God would now sacrifice himself on behalf of of humanity, And instead of demanding something from us, through Jesus, he would offer something to us. He would offer peace. And he would offer reconciliation. And he would offer, imagine this, that from that moment forward, this God would be known simply as your personal heavenly father in the course of one afternoon when jesus died on the cross worship changed forever it would no longer involve a sacrifice that was meant to appease the gods or even appease a god it would no longer be a sacrifice to atone for sin under christian worship everything changed because christian worship would now be a time to remember to remember the sacrifice that has been made on our behalf. We do not gather to call the gods down. We gather because God already came down. And Christian worship would be a time of celebration. It would be a, a time that would be extremely emotional. It's why we sing. It's why people write new and fresh lyrics that say in new and modern ways what the church has been singing and celebrating since the very beginning of the church. It should be emotional because we're celebrating the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead, which means that everything Jesus said is true. It means everything that Jesus taught about God is true. Everything Jesus said about love is true. It means that you do not believe in vain. It means you do not live in vain. That everything Jesus said about eternity 
is true. And see, this may be the part that is absolutely brand new for you, depending on what you've experienced growing up or what you've been told about worship. Christian worship does not end when the worship service ends. Jesus' sacrifice is to inform every aspect and every element of our lives because we live, right? We live. We live with the celebration and the remembrance and the activity that's actually associated with the life of Jesus. It's why the Apostle Paul says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, right, in light of what God has already done for you, you don't need to do anything. You don't have to sacrifice anything. No more sacrifices are necessary. Simply offer your bodies, your living, your relationships, your money, your time. Offer everything about your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. This is how Christians worship. They gather to remember. They gather to celebrate. And then they go and they do for others what their heavenly father first did for them through Jesus. And they celebrate the extravagant generosity and love of our heavenly father. And that is what four is all about. Now, this is the fifth year of our four campaign. Many of you have participated with us in the past. Over the past previous, the previous four years of our campaign, you have actually contributed almost 150, think about this, $150,000 that has been given away. All of it has been given away simply to bless nonprofits and ministries and organizations in our community that are doing amazing work, loving the people that God has put them in this community to love. Now, the way this works, for those of you who are new, is this. As a church, um, we know that no matter how big we get, we will never be able to meet all the needs in, in, in the community. And so instead of going out and trying to start a bunch of things ourselves, we decided to simply find the, the people and the organizations that are hitting it out of the park, who are loving the people God has called them and put them here to love. And instead of competing with them, we just give them the fuel that they need to go further faster. Right, so we sponsor nonprofits that focus on things um, like this right here hunger, medical care, housing, human trafficking, education, family stabilization, and community health. And our goal every single year is not to raise a certain amount of money. Our goal is, in fact, a participation goal. We want 100% of you to participate, right? We want every individual to give and to serve, and we want every household, every family group to sponsor. And we are set up so that everyone, whether you're here in this room right now or you're watching, can actually participate in all three components of our four campaign. Whether you're listening to this today or if you're listening to this at some point later on, I want you to participate no matter where you live. If you think of faith as your home, we want you to participate in our four campaign with us. So we're asking 100% of you to give and then we're going to give 100% of it away. No matter how much comes in, no service charges, no handling fees, whatever comes in, 100% of it goes out. The whole reason we're able to do this is because of those of you who have actually planned to be generous. You've made it a priority to be generous by, by giving a portion of your income every week or every month to faith. And your planned generosity allows all the rest of us to actually be spontaneously generous. Now, here's the great news. 
in spite of the ever-increasing inflation and the rising costs of absolutely everything in our world, I'm simply asking everybody here today, within the sound of my voice, to give a one-time gift of 1995. For just 1995, you too can change the world. Now listen, you can give more if you want, right? You can. Some of you can double that amount. Some of you can add a zero to that amount right down here. Some of you can add a couple of zeros to that amount. And if you can, I certainly hope that you will, because no matter how much of it comes in, one. 100% of whatever you give, all of it is going to be given away. And if, we, if everybody listening to this today and watching today, if you all contribute 1995, then that will generate $20,000 today. Now, last year, I challenged you with the same challenge, and last year, you gave $44,000. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but that's more. That's, that's, that's more than this amount right here. So once again, last year when you gave, I challenged you to give $20,000 to support three area awesome ministries, two in our community, one overseas. Those are, these ministries right here are our local ministries. This one is a partner ministry in Bangladesh. But because of your incredible generosity, because we just give all of it away, no matter how much comes through, we were able to actually give significant financial gifts to all of these other organizations as well, which is awesome. So you should applaud yourselves, because that is amazing. So again, this year we have two awesome nonprofits that we've chosen in our community, and we have one overseas. And so I want to take a minute and tell you about each one of the ministries that we're going to be sponsoring, that you're going to be giving these incredible gifts of love to. And again, remember, they don't know this is happening. So just this is our secret, okay? Don't tell anybody. So the first one is this. The first one is the Good News Gang. Right, the Good News Gang. Now, the Good News Gang, um, about 25 years ago, the Good News Gang, Matt Cripps, who was born in the, Matt Cripps is the leader of the Good News Gang. He was born in the Cass Corridor in the city of Detroit. And I want you to think about this for, for a minute. Literally, when he was born, he entered the Detroit foster care system. His mom did not want to have anything to do with him. Right, so he was born and instantaneously entered Detroit foster care and he grew up very much aware of the fact that he was unwanted and he was unloved. Think about that. At the age of 19, Matt actually became a follower of Jesus and he committed his life from that moment forward to telling other kids in the same area of Detroit, that same Cass Corridor neighborhood, about their the incredible love that their father, their heavenly father and their savior has for them as well. Today, Pastor Matt and his team at the Good News Gang, every single Saturday morning, they minister. They have between three and four hundred kids between their two facilities on Detroit's west side and Detroit's southwest side. So the Good News Gang is committed to serving boys and girls who are growing up in the roughest circumstances, in some of the roughest neighborhoods in, in Detroit, showing them that they are loved and they are precious even when everyone and everything else in their world tells them otherwise. That's number one. Number two is Angel's Place. Angel's Place. Now, Angel's Place, um, there are so many heartbreaking moments for a parent of a child who's born with severe emotional or mental or physical disabilities. Heartbreaking moments. Perhaps one of the most agonizing and heartbreaking moments is trying to figure out what in the world or who in the world is going to actually take care of my child 
when I'm no longer able or around to care for them. Put yourself into that moment for a minute. For 20 years, Angel's Place in Southfield, Michigan has been helping families and parents of severely disabled and impaired children to have an answer to that question. Angel's Place is a Christ-centered, they are a Jesus-centered organization and they provide a Jesus-centered environment of love and compassion coupled with an atmosphere of dignity, acceptance, friendship, as well as the potential, right, the potential for personal growth and independence by providing facilities that are staffed with professionals who are, are trained and who have a passion for working with individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities. These are the two partners we're going to work with and we're going to give gifts to this year in Metro Detroit. And our third partner, our international partner, um, is one that you, some of you might be familiar with. This is my special treasure. They are outside of Guatemala. Chipman Longo, Guatemala. Actually, um, the w place that they got born and the way they came into existence um, is a massive garbage dump. Some of you who have traveled before in third world nations, you've seen these places. They're huge, immense garbage dumps. And this particular garbage dump is in a ravine, and so the walls are, are very, very steep. And every once in a while, as the garbage is coming in, the new garbage will cause an avalanche of garbage to come rushing down the ravine, literally killing and crushing everyone in the path below. The Mayans in the community actually teach their children that this is one of their gods taking a sacrifice. And that is where my special treasure was born. Vanessa and Luis are the couple who lead this incredible ministry. Vanessa is the daughter of a local pastor. And she, she and her husband, Luis, just knew that something had to be done about these children who spent their lives living in this dump and who are often trafficked in the sex trade and then physically abused by other people. And so she opened a home. Uh, for these kids to live in. Uh, many of them uh, would grow up and over the years they came to embrace Jesus as their savior. But Vanessa realized for them to truly see their own worth and value in the eyes of their heavenly father that they actually needed to be involved in sharing the gospel with other people. And so she got permission to use a stable that, was a part of, that is a part of this garbage dump as a school to teach these children as well as their parents, specifically their mothers, um, how to read, how to write, and to teach them about the love of Jesus. God blessed this ministry greatly over the years. Soon the stables were not big enough to hold all the women and children that were coming, looking to meet with Vanessa and looking to learn about Jesus. And so she began to look for a new place to, for them to meet. At the very same time, not so far from the garbage dump, a brand spanking new brothel, a brothel, was being built. And the people in the community began to pray and ask that God would prevent that brothel, brothel from being built, that he would stop the construction, but he never did. And so Vanessa and Luis chose to meet with the owner of this brothel, and he, they proposed that they rent the brothel from the owner of the brothel, which they did. And now that brothel serves as the school, and the very rooms which were built to abuse and to take advantage of children and women now serve as classrooms where women and children learn about and they hear about Jesus every single day. 250 kids a day are part of learning about Jesus at My Special Treasure, but the school is now filled. 
Many of you have been partnering with us with them for the last three years. Their school is absolutely filled. They are now, they have bought a second piece of property and they are building a second school because they want to bring more children into this school because this is literally being connected to this is the difference between life and death in this community. And so we're going to see if we can't just help them along and give them a little bit of a push. Now, here's the thing that makes all of this so great. None of these organizations have any idea that this is happening, and none of them, please understand, none of them have asked us for any money. Right? They have not asked for anything from us in any way. And again, I'll be, let me be very clear. We give everything away. Right? So whatever it is that you choose to give through our four campaign, no service charges, no shipping charges, your 1995 will be game-changing for our ministry partners, and it will be life-changing for the people that they serve. Now, all of that, sponsoring and helping those three organizations and possibly more if you're ridiculous like you were ridiculous last year, right? That's only the first part, right? The second part, the sponsorship part, actually happens when you adopt a child this year for Christmas through gifts for all God's children. Now, this is incredibly important and I do not want you to miss this. Understand that whenever you sponsor a child, the gifts that you buy, the, the gifts that these families receive, they receive those gifts through the ministry of a church. In fact, the gifts you're going to buy this year, they're going to receive through one of these churches right here up on the screen. And so by sponsoring a child for Christmas this year through Gifts for All God's Children, not only are you helping these kids to have a great Christmas, you're raising the reputation of these churches in the communities that they are trying to minister in amongst the very people that they are trying to minister to. This is absolutely huge. Please, please, please do not miss the significance of that. That's the second component, that's the sponsor component. The third component is the serve component, what we call Sunday Serve Day, which is happening this year on November 20th. So on November 20th, I'm gonna try to stay quiet, a little bit at least, and I'm gonna ask all of you to come to church for just a wee bit longer, because I want you to come and worship once and come and serve once. And we will have all throughout our facility a bunch of stations set up where you can actually make care items that are going to be distributed by all these ministries. We'll put this up on the screen. All these ministries throughout the course of this winter, including special gifts of appreciation and encouragement to those people in our community who are active military, as well as those who are first responders here in our local community. And so first, everyone, right, everybody today, whether you're watching with us online or you're here in the room with us, if you're in the room, when you leave, a member of our host team will be holding a basket that says four. You can give that person a $20 bill. I will not be giving you your nickel back. You can just consider that a gift to yourself, right, because you won't get nickel back. So, and then also, also just to make sure you're listening, also you can give online, you can give through our church center app, you can give through the website. Those of you who are watching online right now, you can give through the website or the church center app as well. And again, I hope that you will plan to participate in our campaign in all three of these aspects. Those of you who cannot come to Sunday Serve Day because you just live too far to make the commute to Troy, Michigan, you'll notice on our website we've also posted an Amazon wish list where you can help to supply some of those ministry care items if you choose, and that way you can participate in our Serve Day as well. And remember, this is how we do corporately what every single one of us have been called to do individually all throughout our years. Because, listen, as followers of Jesus, worship for us is not simply about sermons and songs. 
Worship for us is about how we remember, it's about how we celebrate, and then it's about how we go out and we do, right? We live the life that Jesus, the kind of life that Jesus has lived because Jesus lived his life for us. And so we go and we do for others what Jesus has done for us. And this is the part that I love, and you might think that this is silly, but I think this is great. When you participate in this, you actually get credit in heaven. Right? Now remember, Jesus said that, not me, but the church, right? The church gets credit in the community. And you've heard me say this before, this is a big deal. Because in America, everybody thinks something when they hear the word church. And it's not always good. But our four campaign is the way that we get to help change that. Because you know what they should think when they hear the word church? They, they should think, okay, listen, I don't know if I, they believe, if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I buy into all that. But I got to tell you, I'm so glad that there is a church in my community. I don't know if I want to go to church, but I'm so glad there is a church in my backyard. Because those church people, those followers of Jesus people, they actually make our community and they make our world better. Because they know how to love people. They know how to love people the way that Jesus loves people. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what it is that you have sent your son into this world and into our worlds to do. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to receive and to celebrate communion, as we remember and as we celebrate Jesus' life and his life that's given to us and for us, Father, I pray that this would also be a moment where we remind ourselves that we are to actively participate in what it is the Holy Spirit you are doing in our world through us as we love other people, Jesus, the way that you first loved us.